Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello and welcome to the Canon Cast, a weekly podcast from the Canon, SB Nation's blog covering the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, I'm your host today, PD. With me is Elaine Shercliffe. Hello, Elaine. Hi, how's it going? Great. We are we are working here on Labor Day <laughs> to bring you your usual Tuesday podcast. It's very important that we keep that going. And we have a lot to talk about today. We actually have some jackets news uh, to talk about. The big news from last week is Bill Zito, the assistant general manager, uh, is taking the general manager position with the Florida Panthers. Uh, Zito has been with the team since uh, 2013. Is that correct? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, he was, you know, quickly rose to become Yarmo Kekalainen's right-hand man. He was the lead negotiator uh, in player contracts, and he led the Monsters uh, from their Calder Cup winning season all the way through last year. Uh, so, Elaine, obviously you you knew him from your his time in Cleveland, um, what, what are your thoughts on, uh, on Bill Cito as a, as a person, as a front office, uh, figure and, uh, and what the jackets are losing in him? Um, well, so I actually got to meet Zito before I was a Monsters Beat reporter because he was involved in, like, low-key involved in youth hockey in Columbus because his kids were playing. Um, he's very, I mean, he's very knowledgeable about the sport. It's pretty, he's a pretty solid guy I didn't see a ton of him as much as I wanted to like his normal self um in that last season that he was the Monsters GM Uh, and I think a lot of that came down to what all he was dealing with when I found out later about his wife and his sister I was like oh (laughs) that's why he was a little bit different this year yeah, so 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 to, to clue in our listeners, yeah, his his sister had passed away and his wife was battling cancer yeah. at that time. So it was uh it was a different sort of vibe to him than I was used to. But he um as a person, I mean he is a he is a really nice dude. He's a little bit more reserved. But um and then as a GM, I mean they are gonna definitely miss out on that Rolodex of <laughs> contacts that the that he has because he seems to know everyone. <laughs> Everyone and everyone in hockey somehow somewhere it's like six degrees of Kevin Bacon, but it's only three degrees. Sure, <laughs> Hilsito. Yeah, it seems like he he has had a he has a very high reputation mm-hmm. in the league, 
and you know, he's interviewed for a lot of GM jobs over the years, and so it always seemed like it was a matter of when, not if, he would get a chance to run right. the club. So I don't think this was surprising news to the to the Jackets or anyone that right. he was finally getting a chance now. <laughs> and now, what do, you, what do you think about the Panthers as a fit for him? I think, okay, so I think it's going to be good because, first of all, he is a well-respected agent when he was an agent. And he can smell out because he knows when a contract is like, no, that's not going to work. Or when they're asking for something they really shouldn't or don't deserve to be asked. Or even when they're undercutting him, like in a trade or something like that. And it's my understanding, I didn't hear this from him, just un- like just through the grapevine, that he and Bobrovsky actually had a good work relationship. Hmm. So this could possibly be how the um, Panthers get Bobrovsky back to his like Vesna style play. Yeah, that's that's interesting you bring that up because um, something that you know Aaron Pornstein has mentioned a lot in his coverage over the last week about this is how um, you know Zeta was the lead negotiator, and that includes on some of the more contentious deals that the Jackets have had in recent years, including uh, Bob's last contract here. So that's interesting. So that would have suggested that that it was Zito and Bob's agent that had beef, but it sounds like maybe that's not the case, that that they actually still have a good relationship yeah. despite that. I think I think a lot of that came down to the Jackets don't didn't really have the money mm-hmm. or the space for him. Sure. You know, and Florida had the money and has the space for him. So it it only made sense for him to then go there and get that big contract. Well, and, and I'm talking this, the contentious ones were on for Bob's previous, his last right, no, contract no. in Columbus, which I think was maybe not as long of a deal as he was. Right. No, what I'm saying point. is like this last time and why he might've left and why the jackets didn't offer him with, you know, Zito. It, I don't think it had to do with agent. I think really when it came down to money, the jackets are never sure. going to spend that kind of money on anyone ever. (laughs) Um, And another thing about Zito, which is really cool is he does know how to negotiate those AHL contracts really well. You know, some of these guys that constantly want these one year contracts for knowing that they'll never see the NHL. Like he knows how to sell that. He knows how to sell it. He knows how to bring someone into the AHL. Um, and for the Panthers, that's a really good thing because they've never really had a strong AHL relationship with any of their AHL teams. And now it looks like the Checkers are going to be the Charlotte Checkers are going to be their farm team. Right. So um, and, and, and it's as close as you can get to them geographically in the AHL. Still not great, but something. Yes. <laughs> not great, but it's not um, Springfield, Massachusetts. <laughs> So it'll be um, interesting to see what he does with the AH to help bring in like two-way contracts with the AHL team. Because if you can get a veteran in there to lead who knows he probably won't go up to the NHL, <laughs> but the opportunity is there, like, you know, like a Dalphy or a, or a Gerby, if he could get someone to or come. Or like Ryan Craig was from, back in the day when he was playing. Yeah, except, yeah, okay. yeah. The last year, I think Ryan was just on an AHL Thing because Zito really wanted to keep them. But now, do you see perhaps the Panthers and Jackets being trade partners here oh, in the next year or so? Definitely. Or I could even see some of the monsters who are RFAs. This well, not R, not 
I can see some yeah, of the so US some of the guys are, that are coming up this offseason, the Jackets might not have room to keep around, right? Right. And some of the RFAs, like maybe I could see Doyle, maybe Doyle Summerby going sure. over to the Panthers if if offer sheeted because he's an RFA and I think he is someone who has uh, an agent with his with Zito's old agency. But I know he's pretty high on Doyle, but I don't know if it's from an AHL standpoint or an NHL standpoint. But he's unafraid to put in a good word for someone. Sure. You know? Yeah. Now, I'm interested to see what the Jackets will do to fill his role. Because he, you know, he has a big role in the organization. You know, last year when John Davidson left, you know, Yarmo took some of those responsibilities. Zito took on some new responsibilities that have been Yarmo's. Um, and it sounds like they're not looking to, like do a one-for-one one replacement for Zito, which is going to be, again, everyone involved in the organization currently will just split up his responsibilities. So uh, Josh Flynn is a name who has come up. He has already started to help out with negotiations. He's handled a lot of the entry-level contracts. Uh, he he took lead on the Corpusalo contract, which obviously was a great deal for Columbus, yes. uh, especially <laughs> locking him up for under $3 million a year cap hit. Um you know, before the amazing postseason he had. So that's, uh, that's quite a steal. Um, you know, it's interesting at the uh, Hockey Analytics Conference in February, both Flynn and Zito were on different panels that day, and they have very different personalities from what I saw. Now, again, this is very superficial, but Zito, he has a kind of a, it seems like a rough personality. He's very matter-of-fact, straightforward. And I could, I, I, could, I could see where he would be a very difficult negotiator. He would, he would be very tough in the negotiating room, whereas Flynn seemed a lot more amiable. Uh, he seemed very wonkish. Uh, so I can see that that being different personality. Now, I hopefully, you know, he's not a, a pushover in negotiations. Right. And I think, you know, Zito was definitely not going to give an inch to another agent. Um, right. And he had the look. He has that yeah. look. You know how moms have that look that like kills your soul? <laughs> Zito has that same look. I saw it once and was like... <gasps> Yeah, he looks like a guy that, yeah, you, you, don't, you don't want to mess with. He just has that kind of feel. So another thing, I, I hope that Flynn has a bigger role in the organization going forward because he has been one of the leading analytics voices. And I think that the more that that voice can get amplified, that's good for the team going forward because you know, being a small market team, any edge that they can find for finding you know uh, under-the-radar type players is really important. And especially as more and more teams are getting more and more into that approach to the game, like Seattle has gone in really hard on that. So we got to be right. on the lookout for them when they come into the league next year. Rick Nash could have a bigger role. Obviously they've been grooming him to take more and more responsibility. So he's you know just been an assistant to Yarmo, but he could probably take on some more tasks. Uh, Chris Clark, they've said, oh, yeah. might have an expanded role. Uh, do you have any, any insight or any hopes for who might uh, have a bigger role? I don't have so much insight. I mean, I've heard things, um, but, you know, people sometimes just, you know, talk <laughs> with no meaning behind it. But my hope is, and I think it could work really well, is Chris Clark is so good at finding under-the-radar players. Like you said, I mean, we saw that with this signing that the Monsters just did from a kid out of University of Nebraska, Omaha. Like, who's <laughs> looking at UNO? Who is looking? Right. No one. Chris Clark. That's who. <laughs> <laughs> and all those scouts, like they are looking at under the radar players and teams who just, these kids are in colleges who aren't like 
they're just not always looked at. And they're sure. looking for those kids because they realize they've come from tier one elite programs or they've come from really good high school programs. And then they somehow got lost in the shuffle. And then I would love to see him step into Zito's role that the that he was at the Jackets just because he is – I his personality is very warm, mm-hmm. but I – I can tell that he holds back his cards. Like he doesn't lay all his cards out. (laughs) And then when he does, you're like, oh man, I did not see that coming, you know? And so I think that's um, a tool that's very important in negotiations to not really know what he's going to do. But if you lay out enough options for him, I think he really respects that because he likes to see how things work. And then I would like to see Flynn get just like a whole other position in a team for analytics specifics, because there are other things that we need to look at analytically that aren't public knowledge to people and see how that works from an analytics standpoint, Um, which I'll talk more about when we talk about McLean, because it kind of, yeah, I was just going to segue to that. (laughs) that, uh, Yeah. But then I'd like to see Nash become the GM of the Monsters I think mm. he could actually do it. I think he has that ability, and it's a good place for him to start and learn. Yeah, you think he's a, ready? It's not I, too soon for him to take that role? I'm not 100% sure, but he was around the Monsters a lot this season. I saw him a lot. He seemed to be taking in a lot, like looking at the game a lot, but not just as a GM. You have to look at both teams when you're because right. you're also looking to see what can you bring in. And I, you know, he had a good teacher with Chris Clark. Sure. You know, so I think it's worth giving him a shot I think if he could, wants that, to do it. Yeah, I think that could be a, an interesting role for him because, you know, he'd basically be this this Jackets legend grooming the next generation of Jackets. Right, you and know? he knows and what the Jackets He's still young enough that he, he can relate to the younger players, but also still a recent enough player that they they know who he is as a player. They saw him play. Right. That, that brings a credibility talking player to player. You right. know, on, from his standpoint. So that, yeah, that'd be, yeah. that'd be fun to see him in well, that he, role. He knows what they need and what they want, and he's always done what was best for the team. I mean, like, when he asked for the trade, it wasn't because he wanted to leave so much as he knew that he was holding them back from having the ability to create a, a better team. So if a guy is willing to do that and go to a team and not win a cup... <laughs> Well, but he got a lot closer to New York. Let's be very clear about that. Like that, that was that, that was win-win long term. Right, so. he got as close as, he, as anyone could without actually winning. But right. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like it, there was no guarantee. He wasn't going to like at that time. You would think like the Kings or even the Hawks at that time mm-hmm. were really good. He wasn't going to a team that was like a guaranteed um, to win it kind of place. So. Um, I've always kind of respected him for that. I know a lot of people get mad <laughs> get mad when they talk about it, but if you look at the big picture, so that's why I think him being in that role would be really good because he already knows what they want, and he does his heart's in the right place. Yeah, well, I, I, I still have a little bit of beef, but that his... <laughs> uh, I've softened a bit based on the fact that he has come back to the organization, and I, I believe he's genuine in his, his love for the city, and I, it's neat that he... Wanted to be part of this organization again. Yeah. And and yeah, if, if he could rise to the level one day being the GM, like so many other 
GMs who are leading teams that they played for. Like that's that's kind of a cool thing. So uh, I'm glad he's working his way up. So we'll see what the future holds for him. Another person who left the organization this week is uh, Paul McClain. He was brought in in the fall to help with the power play. Uh, he was just signed to a one-year contract, so that contract is up now, and the team opted to not re-sign him. So it's not clear how much of this is because the power play was still not good. It was a little bit better after he was hired, but still you know, towards the bottom of the league. Or how much of this is just that revenues are down, there's a lot of uncertainty, and they just don't, they can't afford to have this extra coach on the payroll. Um, now, of course, they're still paying Brad Larson. They probably don't want to pay him to not coach anymore as much as <laughs> fans would like to see it. So, uh, and this is, uh, you know, the second year in a row that the Jacks have brought in someone to help the power play. They brought in Martin St. Louis the previous season to help out as a consultant. Um, neither guy's really been able to create meaningful change in the power play. It's been a struggle for most of the last four years. So <laughs> what's it going to take to fix the Jackets power play? Well, okay. So I have a few thoughts on that. <laughs> with, well, with, first of all, with him leaving, I feel like it's kind of like a Martin St. Louis thing. Like they, maybe he doesn't want to be away from his family or maybe it just like wasn't what they realized they wanted to do. And that's why they're not staying on. Or like you said, the money, I don't think there's anything like, um, I don't know if it's so much like, the actual game related to why he's not there anymore. I know a lot of people are like, this is the worst decision ever. And I'm like, I don't really know what went into that decision, but I feel like it wasn't just like our power play is so bad. You're out of here because no one's power plays has really been good. This, <laughs> this well, season. but I think if it had been much better, they would not be so quick to, oh, they would have found, found a way to keep him around. I think it had there been meaningful change to it. Yeah. So I think there's two things. Well, one thing I would like to know is I just want to know the nitty gritty about the power play. Okay. Like no one's asking these questions and I don't know if it's because no one wants to answer them, you know, so that's the very um, possible. I want to know, and I wish someone would be able to have time to watch all the power plays because I don't and right. break down <laughs> what plays they were trying to run within the power play. Mm. Were they using a one-three-one when they should have been using an umbrella because the goaltender is a jumpy mm. goaltender? Like, if you can, uh, like, the umbrella is specifically for getting, like, tricking out a goaltender. Like, you are shooting the puck across from, say, like, you want to shoot on the left side, and you pretend you're shooting on the left side. And then quickly get over to the right and get it behind the goaltender because he is jumpy enough to just bite on the left side. Like, I want to know who's on the power play when those plays are happening or is the power plays just like, are they running a hybrid of them? Um, it's sometimes I feel like they try to do the spread a lot, which is like two forwards um, on the sides of the crease and one at the top of the crease and then the two D are set back so that they can kind of shoot, step back and shoot from the point, or like it keeps the penalty, it keeps like three of the penny penalty killers on um, like right in front of the net. So then there's just one guy and it kind of frees up the defense to then either rush the net or fire off from the point. I feel like we do that a little bit too much, mm -hmm. that spread. Um, but I... I just, I want to know, like, what are they doing and is it working, which for each person and should they be 
like mixing it up and that's where like in the analytics department that could help like they say when they play the penguins okay so they play the penguins and they have a zero percent this is a dramatic number zero <laughs> percent success rate because they're trying to run the overload which is like along the boards the half mm -hmm. the half boards and it, it's what like Yager and them used to do when they were really good and the penguins excel at that so if the pk for the penguins sees our power play doing that what are they going to do they're going to stop it fast that's what i want to know sure if we can get more analytics on that i think we could figure out really where the power play is struggling but i also think the jackets need I'm I'm not for firing a coach, so let me pre <laughs> what I'm about to say. I, I'm not one of those people that calls for firing a coach, and I'm not calling to fire a coach. If you could get someone like Ryan Craig, who is an assistant for Vegas right now, if you could get him over here to Columbus as an assistant, he knows the power play well, and he's great with the young guys, and he knows sure. how to get that out of them, but he also knows how to speak to veterans. If you could get someone who has that same sort of presence, who the younger guys would know. Because they played with him in Cleveland, a lot of these guys, yeah. Right. As someone that they've played with or they've watched playing, but there's not a huge age gap between them. Mm -hmm. I think um, you would see a little bit more success. But that's yeah. now, just me. How is, how is, over this same span of time, how is the Monsters power play compared to the Jackets power play? It, has, it, has it been more or less successful? And how have the schemes been similar or different it was a little bit easier to tell what plays they were running mm -hmm. down in the ahl uh, they just couldn't score a freaking goal <laughs> like they were they abandoned pass 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 style like they the jackets do that way too much right um okay so how, how did the monsters overcome that but the jackets can't well, you know how they that's what's so frustrating they overcame that because they depended on adam clendenning on Hmm. Both power play units. He was on both of them. And all he did, all they did was like set him up at the point. Okay. Right. The right point. Not just any point. The right point. <laughs> and shot him the puck. And he one time, one time, one time, constantly. And then like someone like Calvin Turkoff would be standing on one side of the net. And um, so they did a lot of the, the spread as well. But they also like to mix in the umbrella. And so it was just like these, and I feel like they just created a play just specifically for Clendenning. I'm wondering if they just have a play called the Clendo, <laughs> <laughs> where all they do is just pass in the puck and they sit up front, up top and behind the net. They actually have someone behind the net. I've never seen a power play where like there's a person that stands behind mm -hmm. the net because if he misses, it's going to go off the boards and the, someone from the other team's PK is going to come in and scoop it up. But if someone's there... They're passing it to the next person who's in front of the net, who's popping it in, but <laughs> it's not always going in. Right. Uh, but their success rate is coming because they're building plays around one person who's really great at scoring, and he's out there for literally two minutes. Yeah, so, and you would think the Jackets would be able to do something like that as well, like figure ways to take advantage of, say, Zach Wierenski, Yeah. you know? Um, I, and I, so I've got a couple ideas for how I'd fix the power play. One of them is just stop treating it like a power play. Just continue rolling the same lines and pairs like you do when it's 5-on-5. Five five. Because the Jackets can be a pretty good team at 5-on-5. Five five. 
And sometimes when they have a power play and they don't score, it swings momentum to the other team, and the Jackets, their lines get thrown off because of some guys got to sit a little bit then, and so there's some line shuffling going on and a few shifts after the power play. So, like, just run the regular thing. And I think there's too much pressure, like, oh, my God, this is a power play. We have to score here. Or, like, oh, God, we haven't scored in a power play in a while. They start gripping the sticks tighter. There's so much, I think, they want to make the the perfect pass and right. the perfect shot as opposed to just make the pass quickly. And they're getting... Take, they take, the sh- take any shot, you know? Just yeah. get the puck in, and they don't do that. So... They just, you know, treat it like any other shift. And the fact that there's one less defender should help you, you know? Right. The other idea is just, you know, stop playing guys like, you know, Nick Felino or Boone Jenner. Once you take uh, penalties. And, and roles like that. Like, just put your five best skaters out there, mm-hmm. you know? just And it, which, that should be an obvious thing, but somehow it's <laughs> it's not. But just right. put your best players out there and let them, let them do their thing, you know? Right. Or... Like with the Monsters, they have a third power play unit. They don't always roll it, but they have it. It's a potential, you know, it's a potential to have um, another set of guys go in and give someone a break. And that third power play unit doesn't have Clendenning on it. So it's like a whole set of plays. And I think also where the Jackets fall too, now that we're talking about it more, is it feels like they're running the same play for each unit that goes in. Mm Mm-hmm. But the monsters run different plays for each unit that goes in. Yeah. So it seems like, yeah, having, having multiple plays would help just in terms of being tougher to defend. You know, because mm-hmm. teams at this point know that the Jackets are going to be in that 1-3-1. Yes. And just going to be passing it around a lot the outside. And teams just settle in and let them pass it and know that they're not going to get inside and take a quality shot. Um, they're just, they don't do enough to test the penalty kill. Uh, yeah. Because they, they hold the puck, which lets the PK reset. They're not moving around when they don't have the puck, so it's easier to keep track of where everyone is, and it's right. just it's so static. <laughs> and what's frustrating is that we we've been watching this for years, and you know we're not like super hockey experts, and yet we're seeing this. Right. <laughs> we see the problem. Well, Anyone and- watching this knows what the problem is, and they can't <laughs> fix it. And well, I don't know if it's the the it's a mental block with the players not understanding. If it's a problem with what the coaches are doing. Or if the coaches are teaching the right thing, but the players aren't learning it, some, that's why I feel like something has to change. And the, But they bring in other voices, like St. Louis, like McLean, and something, still, they still fall back into the same bad habits. Right. I, it's, I don't get it. But I think it's because, like you said, they, they keep putting guys like Felino and Jenner on the power plays, and Felino. God bless him. Like <laughs> he still he falls into his bad habits all the time. Yeah. We the jackets need guys on the ice during the power play who are disciplined, who are not going to get rattled when someone right. say flops <laughs> <laughs> or anything like that or um also just sticks to the fundamentals. Like if you had a power play that had Ryan McGinnis Kevin Stenland and Foodie on it and Peak. Okay, let me tell you that. And then throwing Clen Denning just because I love watching him shoot off those from the point and no one trying to stop him, even though he sits at the same point every game. <laughs> it's but it's going to be a good moving power play, and at least if you don't score, it still feels successful because they still keep momentum. Yeah, that's like you know, that's you know I don't think anyone's expecting the power play unit to score every time right. but if they can score one out of every five times 
like, okay, that's going to be top half in the league, and that's that's fine. And yeah, and even if they don't score, create shots at least, you know, because they have so many power plays where they don't even register a shot on goal, right. you know, and they spend so much time out of the zone having to collect the puck, and it's it's so frustrating, and it's such a momentum suck. It is. I would love to see them come up with their own play where all they do is rush to the net without the puck, and then they have one guy who actually has the puck and rushes <laughs> it when the goalie thinks they're not, they don't have the puck, and they just like pop it in there. <laughs> so basically, the flying V for Mighty Ducks is that what you want? <laughs> Except <Yeah>. more aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to talk about uh, diversity initiatives in the NHL and preview the conference finals. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back in news in the NHL from last week on Thursday. Uh, the NHL and the NHL Players Association uh, announced a pretty lengthy series of initiatives that they're undertaking uh, in response to the calls for uh, greater diversity and an end to racism uh, within the hockey world and in the you know communities surrounding these NHL teams. Um, uh, Elaine, what did, what did you think of, of this announcement? Is it enough? Can they do more? Um, is this, you know... Will this succeed, do you think? What are your thoughts on this? I have lots of thoughts, <laughs> um, but I'll start with just a few. First of all, I like everyone else's. There is more that they can do. There's always more that anyone can do because if there's not more, well, you're wrong. <laughs> like There's mm-hmm. always more that you can do to, to be better at inclusivity or just in general, like even from a playing standpoint. I was so happy to see that there were women a part of this. That was my biggest issue with the Hockey Diversity Alliance, the HDA, is they have this platform and women like Soroya Tinker and Sarah Nurse were not invited to the table. You know? Yeah, yeah. Reached, Hopefully they, they correct that soon, but yeah, right. that, that's an issue. And so it was, it was so great to look at it and see someone like Blake Bolden, who is low-key, under the radar, so good at what she does for the sport that... She's now a scout in the NHL well, for the, the NA, for the AHL, but like she works for the Kings and it's just, she's from Ohio. 
I was going to say, yeah, she's from Cleveland. Yeah, right? she played in Kent. Um, and then she went on to the, you know, she did some USA hockey work, played for the Boston Pride and then the Buffalo Buttes for the NWHL. And she's like, I think she also played in the CWHL for the Boston team that was there as well. But she is just so good at what she does. She's such a pro. She's very thoughtful. Very, and she's very welcoming and warm. And she wants to learn and mm-hmm. um, do like do things better and help people. And so for me, seeing those names and then seeing Julie Chu and Megan Duggan, and I was like, this is great. There are women, there are women who are involved because there should be women. Because even if you're looking at it from the NHL standpoint, the women might not be playing, but they're involved in almost every single aspect of the game. So yeah, and and one of the committees that was formed that had. Um owners, presidents, yeah, Kim, GMs on it. Pegula. Uh, Kim Pegula, the Buffalo Sabres, is, uh, is one of the co-chairs of that. Um, and I know she's been, she has long been a booster of women's hockey. Yes. Um, I saw, you know, there's some criticism because, you know, she and her husband have given money to Republican candidates, so they feel like some people were suggesting that that means that they, they aren't the ones to be leaders, you know, make sure on the committee but not co-chair right. for something like this. And, and I thought that was a little unfair. At least give her the chance to... And I think the fact that she has done so much for gender equality in the sport, I, I think, uh, gives her useful expertise to pull upon, right. hopefully, and she has a different, for this role. And she has a different set of followers. So it, you can't be saying that we want to spread inclusivity if we're counting out this group of followers who are the toughest sell on inclusivity. Mm-hmm. You know, like... They still have to be able, we still have to be able to reach them as well to, to show yeah. them that like this is to help them learn, I guess is what I'm saying. I'm not trying to like say cater to them. I'm saying like mm-hmm. to show them this initiative that's happening and how they can take part or if they don't want to take part, then that's like, cool, like don't be here, <laughs> you know? Um, I think also, well, also it was really nice to see Carrie Bubbles as part of the club executives, because he used to be the president of the Monsters um, and the Cavs. <laughs> so it was really cool to see him on that list, like Cleveland represent. <laughs> um, and then P.K. Subban, you know, he is finally uh, getting that, like, I feel like people tend to discount his opinions just because he's so outgoing and funny, mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of times they don't look at him as like a serious athlete with serious opinions um, just because he is so bold and bright and outgoing. So I'm. But really, I, I think it makes him perfect for something like this because he is the, you know, arguably the most high profile player of color in the world. Right, exactly. You know, and, and I think it's been. It's obviously long been a struggle for the NHL to to market any of their exciting players or any player with any semblance of personality. But then especially for a league that people feel should be less white going forward. And one way you do that, I think, is by amplifying the players that are in the league that don't look like everyone else. Right. So that includes P.K. Subban. That includes Seth Jones. You know, there's so many players. In, and thankfully, they've gotten more of a platform, you know, during the postseason with, uh, you know, Matt Dumba's... Uh, speech at the start of the the return to play uh, for you know Ryan Reeves, uh, Nazem Kadri, and Pierre Edward Belmar at that press conference yeah. in, in the Western uh, Western Conference bubble. Um, so that's 
that's a start. And yeah, having uh, PK Subban and Anson Carter uh, co-chair this player inclusion committee, that's good. Now, I, I feel like there's a lot on the in this press release that are a lot about committees being formed and there's going to be discussions. And I think that's a good step. But I understand some people who feel like that's it's just words at this point. But there are a few things in here that were more action items that I liked. Um, the first one was that they are teaming up with the Hockey Diversity Alliance on a grassroots hockey development program to provide mentorship and skill development for uh, BIPOC boys and girls in the greater Toronto area. And they're going to do a pilot program uh, in the U.S. as well. Um, so that's a good actionable thing. Um, you know, obviously we, you know, you spoke to John Hafferman earlier this summer of the Columbus Hockey Club, and, you know, certainly he has done a lot of efforts like that here in Columbus. So, uh, hopefully he's someone that the, the league turns to who's had success in that area. Right. So that's, a, and I think that's one of the things where the change that we want to see in the sport, it's not going to happen overnight. And, you know, but if we get kids involved now and in the next year, then 10 to 15 years down the line, we'll finally see more players from those communities at the age where they can start to be NHL prospects. Right. You know, but that's, it's going to take time, but I think we start now, we can get to that point. So this is a great start for that. Uh, the other thing I liked is that they were going to do a, an audit of hiring practices. Yes. Uh, you know, in front offices and coaching staffs. And that's, that is a good action item that I think can have immediate consequences again like the jackets like we said you know they've got you know they've just had some departures in their coaching staff and their front office and well i think it's in some ways it's a good thing that they they sort of work people up the organization like rick nash you start at the bottom and you kind of work up and so they and so they have to do things in the bottom rather than at the highest level club but be sure that there are good processes being followed for how you hire those entry level people and maybe consider those that aren't just, you know, former NHL players. Like anyone that, you know, and maybe don't have that, that connection of, oh, you're part of this club, but someone who still demonstrates hockey knowledge or enthusiasm or work ethic that maybe don't look like everyone else. Right. Because that different background provides different perspectives. Right. I mean, even just <laughs> for me running this small hockey site, um, the fact that I've got two women on staff, yeah, like that provide and having, uh, you know, a woman as, as the, the league manager at SB nation that provides a different perspective on things than I would have had just being this sit head white male, you know, um, or having, you know, you know, El Polito on staff with, you know, being Puerto Rican, like even that he's got a different outlook on things. And I think, so I think in an NHL front office, the same thing can happen. The, Go outside of the old boys club, and I think you're going to get, see good things happen. Seattle, like I mentioned earlier, they've had a focus on diversity in their hires. So they have a lot of women, like 50% women in their front office. That's great. Like that, including in scouting roles and analytics roles, things like that. They've got some people of color that you know, hired some, uh, uh, some black broadcasters. Yeah, so that's, that's going to be a, a <laughs> high-profile thing that's great visibility. And I think that's, that, that is nothing but a great thing. For the sport. Right. And I think it's good that they're doing that also because 
sometimes you don't realize that you're doing the same thing over and over because you're like, oh, I know this person. Oh, I connect with them because we went to the same school or they know so-and-so. And a lot of people forget to step outside of their box per se because they get so... It's, it's an echo chain. Yeah, because they get yeah. so excited. Like, I mean, I do it when I meet someone that I went to high school with at Walsh, or if they went to a Jesuit high school, I'm like, yo, yeah, <laughs> let's ride or die. <laughs> you know, we, and the thing is, is we all do it. Everyone sure. does it. And it, it takes a lot for someone to just really focus and set out and be like, okay, here is what make pros and cons list for every single person that they interview and if it comes down to like, oh, well, this person I really liked a lot because we all went to the same school, they know the same people, but they don't have the same set of skills that we really need for the team. You know, you have to politely decline unless you think they might actually bring something like different that the team is right. needing. But, but it's, I think if, if you have two people who maybe have equal that, qualifications. That's what it, yeah. Maybe go with the one that's not the gut instinct or someone that brings something a little different to the table because you already provide the background. Yeah. The, your background. So you don't need someone else that has the same background. Right. You know? Um, so that's why, you know, I think then it helps the Jackets have just having a, you know, a European general manager. You know, he maybe sees now he's come up through the NHL. He was educated in the US. He played in the NHL. He was scouted in the NHL. Right. But he also has that time over in Europe. Yes. You know, I, I would love to see at some point. A, a European coach get a shot in the oh, NHL. Oh, yeah, that would be... Either, either someone that, that coaches a pro team over there or maybe one of the national teams that has inventive ideas of how to coach hockey. Like, that would be a huge step for some team right. to take and start them, to hire someone like that. Right, and know? start them in the AHL. <laughs> Just because it, if they've only ever coached European, it's going to be a big leap. Like, you hear players talk about the differences. I think... It, it, you have to tweak a little bit. So maybe start him as an assistant in the NHL or throw him in as a full head in the AHL. Just but give him the shot. Yeah, give him the shot, totally. Like, I mean, think about this, though. We never would have, the Monsters never would have gotten Mike Eves if Yarmo hadn't have been the GM of that team in Finland when Eves was coaching back then. So, like, of course, then that goes back to the well, hiring someone you know, but, you know. Yeah, well, right, you but, point. like, it was still kind of, like, it, it was something that they really needed. Sometimes when you're in that pinch and you need to get someone right away, sometimes you have to abandon that and pick someone who you're familiar with because you're in that pinch. But it can't be like that all the time. And I feel like the Jackets have been fairly good about not just it being, like, it's always someone we know. Like, we have to take Bill Zito out of that equation because he literally knows everyone. And I'm pretty sure he right. knows a ton of people in Europe and, like, the KHL from being an agent. So, like, we need to exclude him from that equation. Um, but I, I just feel like there is a little bit more, but obviously not the way that Seattle's going. You have an article coming up this week about uh, things that the Cleveland Monsters are doing uh, in this vein in terms of community outreach and diversity initiatives. Um, so can you give us a little sneak preview yeah. of, of some of what the Monsters are doing? <laughs> well, um, so I don't want to give like too much because then I won't have 
much of an article to drop, but <laughs> but a lot of the stuff that they're doing with the Sports Alliance, they they joined the Sports Alliance with the Browns, Indians, and Cavs, which it's an easy thing for them to add to because they're in the same house as the Cavs. They're owned by the Cavs. Um, but they already had programs in place, like one where they went into schools and kind of did like a, it, it's not, it's not mentoring, but it's like showing kids things you can do, um, to get to hockey or to work in hockey or just, just even just to get them in that mindset that this isn't where they have to stay. And if they, you know, they can do things in their own community as well, um, which is really neat. And they, um, they are going to, they're trying to find ways to do that this year because they went into the schools before to do that. And obviously they can't do that now. So they're working on how they can do that remotely. Um, but one of the things they're doing too is there is going to be a voter sign up on September 22nd. So um, they're like the, a lot, and a lot of the monsters are also going to be monsters workers not players but people in the organization are going to be working the polls as poll workers too but they're doing um that registration day tuesday september 22nd at rock and mortgage field house and there's a little bit more about the um it's called it's like turns up to vote like where cleveland turns up to vote it is at rocketmortgagefieldhouse.com slash events slash vote and we'll put it in the notes but I think it's very important for people in Cleveland to know about that and the only people the the people that will be voting in the queue well not the queue I'm sorry (laughs) in the field house (laughs) will be from um, precincts I L and Q in Cleveland's um, third ward and uh, one thing that Ben Adams who works for the monsters is talking to me about is they're really hoping that um, like they don't know what's going to happen with parking and buses yet, but they're really hoping to find out more as it comes closer to November 3rd um, so that people can get there easier and not have to worry. So yeah, I'm really excited to put that conversation out because Ben's a great guy. <laughs> yeah. That's, and that's great to hear that the monsters are, are so involved in, in stuff like that and are using their platform to, advertises stuff right. you know and and the jackets again is still have been a little silent on these issues right. and, uh, and ho- hopefully that changes uh in the near future because yeah. uh i think it's a missed opportunity it is and one of the things i want to there's just two things i want to say about that quickly just because i know we like one is it would be really easy to do in columbus to create a sports alliance because the crew are owned by the haslams right right and that's who the browns are owned by so they're, it's already in place up in Cleveland. So why? Not? And they've got the affiliation with the monsters that are now connected yeah. to the Cavs. So, so yeah, they should be. They could be part of the same thing. It could be. So the the crew and the Clippers and the the Jackets could all create a Columbus sect of this sports line. They would already have a plan written up. Absolutely. All they'd have to do is just apply it to Columbus, and maybe they haven't thought about that. I don't know. And that's the other thing I want to point out to everyone. I know people got on Elaine Vigneault for saying, like, we're in the bubble and I'm not always paying attention to the news. And people were really upset about that, which I I totally get. And I just want to point out another side to that. When the pandemic hit 
and the NBA game was canceled that night while the Monsters were playing, it did not register with the players until the next morning when they were waiting for the plane that this was Mm -hmm. a pandemic. Because a lot of hockey players, if I've noticed, when they have their off time, they're not on social media. They're not on things. They're not tapped in because they're trying to just like focus on, you know, what's going on at that time. And then when it's game day, they're not doing that either. And so, yes, that means I know people are going to say, well, that's their privilege. Totally it is because they're not having to live with that happening to them, which is, I guess, then something, yes, it is something that they have to work on. Or maybe that's something that each team starts saying is sending out like maybe these emails with like important things that have happened in the news so that when you go on social media, you don't look like an idiot or a jerk so that no one is, (laughs) no one's misinterpreting that your random post about the police and your family is being misinterpreted as you supporting something like brutal, not brutal, brutality or that. So there's that. And then, the Jackets are going through a lot of changes right now in the front office, in management. And they've been doing that since, like, February because, you know, they lost Karen Davis. They, they've been just having a lot of people come in and out. And so for them to put plans in place, they have to have main points in place. So they just lost Zito. They also need to see who's coming in, if anyone's coming in from the outside or not. And then they can really work on it. But also, I don't know for a fact what's going on there. So it is disappointing to not hear any sort of anything come out of there, whether they're actually working on something or if they're elevating a program that they already have that we didn't know they had. So, yeah, I just I don't want it to seem like I I don't want to seem like we're trashing the jackets without us actually knowing what's going on behind the scenes with the jackets. Sure. I think it just it looks bad when they were slower with an initial statement yes. than other teams were. So even if they're working on something, like just say that they're just tell us that you're working on something. You know, make it clear that you're not ignoring it, which I think is what currently it looks. I like. think might have been hard too because is it you can't you don't always want to speak for your players, and I think they needed to figure out where guys like Cam and Zach Wierenski were at because these dad is police officer and Cam has a bunch of family members and I I feel like you just can't put out a statement to put out a statement because A, if that's not how all of your players feel, it's like, whoa, why are you speaking for me? Even if it's, (laughs) you know, even if it's on that situation, but like you still have to take into account that there are all these people that you work and all the people in your community that you work with and before you go out and put anything. So you don't want to put out empty words or words that's going to make, you know, anything turn into something that it shouldn't turn into. But yeah, it, it was disappointing to not see it come out sooner when it initially. Yeah. All right. So one last thing then before, we, so a little bit lighter here. Now we've got the, uh, the conference finals getting started. So Elaine, what is your pick in the West Vegas or Dallas? See, I want that to be the Stanley cup. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I like what the stars are doing. They just they're just having fun and going ham on everyone. But <laughs> I really want to see like guys like Ryan Craig really succeed. Um, and I think it's kind of cool when 
the new kid on the block comes in and lights thing up because they only have until next season to be <laughs> to be the new kids. Um, plus, you know, it's nice to see Carrie Bubbles succeed some more. So I would like to see the Golden Knights, but I think the Stars, I think it's going to go to game seven and the Stars are going to move on to the Cup. Vegas was my preseason pick to come out of the Western Conference, so... I don't think I'm going to change from that. I do think they're a better team than Dallas, but Dallas has been sort of upsetting expectations all postseason. Yeah. <laughs> After pl- being, they were so horrible, could not score in the round robin, and then they flipped a switch, and they have been just lights out scoring yeah. uh, from everywhere. You know, who would have thought that Joel Kibaranta <laughs> would be <laughs> would be a game seven hero? Um, did you? By the way, did you hear the the Finnish language call of the game winning goal in game no. seven? Oh, yeah, no. so we'll have to post a link to that as well. That, okay. Yeah, so Finnish TV was you know calling the game, and when he this rookie from Finland had a hat trick, and with an overtime winner to to eliminate the Avalanche, and um, you know the Finnish are not known for being demonstrative people, but this announcer lost his mind, and it was fantastic. <laughs> oh no, when they um, get excited, they are excited. <laughs> yeah. So you know they 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 managed to get a a one nothing shutout in game one, which I. Is not a score that anyone yeah. anticipated. How did that uh, happen? I was I, I was in Chita- I mean, like I was in Chautauqua. There was like no service. I didn't want to go into like a bar. <laughs> yeah, I I, I I missed the game myself, so okay. I'm I'm not sure. But I don't think they're going to be able to shut out Vegas for yeah. three more games. Right. So I, I think the Vegas has more depth, and that's going to get the edge here. Uh, then the East Islanders and Lightning. Now I think the Islanders like Dallas. Uh, managed to beat expectations every step along the way here so far this postseason. Um, you know, they still, I don't still don't think they're a great offensive team, but they have managed to score enough. Um, but I think the lightning are the, the lightning, I think have too much firepower and it's too much depth of firepower. I mean, the, the lightning are just good. Their forwards, their defense, their goalie. They've just got elite talent every step of the way. And I think that's going to be too much for the Islanders. Um, and if the Lightning come through this, they will have beaten <laughs> like three of the top physical teams yeah. in these Columbus, Boston, and then the Islanders. I mean, that is that is so grueling. But I think from what we saw in both of their series so far, dispatching both Columbus and Boston in five games each, that the Lightning are now a team that can hang physically, especially with that that Yanni Gord line. Uh, so I, I, I think yeah. that'll give them the edge in this series. Yeah. Well, for some reason, people still let Gord sit on the doorstep, which is how <laughs> they keep scoring goals. And I'm just like, I noticed it in game two that he was going to sit up on the doorstep and no team has decided to stop him from getting on the doorstep. This is <laughs> like... This literally does not make sense to me. Um, so if they just keep setting him on the doorstep, I guess they're going to win. <laughs> uh, but I, I would love to see the Islanders go on to the finals. It would just be kind of cool. I don't know. I've always had a soft spot in my heart for the Islanders just because they're like, no one really likes to talk about them. And their fans are like people that live on Long Island. <laughs> like it's, it's it's not like New York's team, it's Long Island's team. And so, plus, you know, Barry Trotz and then showing that the Islanders can win without Tavares. It just never gets old. And 
The only problem that makes me the only thing that makes me sad about that is that they won't be playing in Toronto for the Stanley <laughs> Cup because it would just be like sweet <laughs> redemption for the Islanders to play in Toronto on Toronto ice while Tavares is like miles yeah, away in his it. bed. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I think the fact that they've managed to you know win a series the last two years and he has not is yeah. I think that's enough of a. Uh, little personal victory there yeah. so all right so that that'll do it for us this week thanks for listening uh be sure to tune in next week uh subscribe wherever you subscribe to podcasts leave us a rating leave us a review check us out at jacketscanon.com we've got content going up every weekday We're currently doing player reviews uh also look for elaine's article this week about what the monsters are doing in the community and as always our theme music is from angela pearly and the howling moons please check out angelapearly.com for more of her music uh, thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. I'm